Okay. Okay. Um, so one of the one of the positions that I find myself in my work as a counselor is to take very very complex topics and make them as elementary as possible. Because if we can make very complex topics super elementary, people will pick it up quicker and use it and fold it into their life very easily. So what we're going to attempt to do is cover the topic of identity in an hour. And you guys are going to all walk out of here knowing exactly who you are and what you were created to do and be. Sound good? In one hour? Um, simple. No problem. Okay. So we're going to start with just this idea of humanity and three things that all of us as humans have in common, especially us in this room. The first one that we all have in common is that we have all suffered in some fashion. We don't get out of here without suffering, and if you haven't suffered, I have news for you. It is coming. It is part of our human condition and existence in this world that we will indeed suffer. The second thing that we all have in common is at some point in our life, we did start to question, who am I and what is my calling? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here on this earth? What purpose do I serve? And we've asked that question over time, over the years, and my guess is that some of you still are asking that question today. So we've suffered, which actually plays a part in how we might answer that question because our experience up until this point, all of the experiences, is how we start to define who we are. And because we've suffered, a lot of how we define who we are is then built upon a potential non-truth, right? Because the messages of suffering without the presence of a self-loving adult, which is the third thing that hopefully we've all had in common, and maybe we didn't, but at some point, everyone in this room had somebody in their life to teach them about the love of Jesus Christ. You were exposed to Jesus, and whether or not you took that up in your heart, I, do, I don't know, but I know that you've had exposure. So if we had exposure, and if we had exposure by a safe, loving adult, then we were able to manage our suffering in truth. And the safe, loving adult from the time we were born, if that was us and we were born into that, that person is going to help us with our identity and our purpose. Many people, however, did not get the presence of a safe, loving adult to show them what Christ's love actually looks like, to mimic the Father's love and the Father's grace here on earth, right? Does that make sense so far? So we all have these three things in common, which are all going to play a part in our identity. Um, one of the things that we often explore and people get confused by is that they're going to automatically, by default, put their identity into their work, their performance, right? If I perform this way, then I am this thing. Or the hats that we wear. I'm a mother. I'm a counselor, right? If I put my identity in those things, I'm in trouble because those things will change. Now, I will always be a mother, but I might not always be mothering. Right now, I'm a counselor, but I'm not going to always be a counselor, right? And so one of the things we often will do when we don't know our identity is try to perform ourselves into our identity. And if, if you're talking and people say, well, what do you do? Or tell me about you. What do you start listing? All the hats you wear, right? You're not listing your character. You're listing the hats that you wear. You're not necessarily listing those two things. And people often get those two things um, confused, my performance versus my preciousness and who I really am. And one of the things when we talk about self-worth, people also get confused, is self-worth and self-esteem. Self-worth is basically the belief in your own value. So if you have high self-worth, you believe that you're precious and priceless. If you have low self-worth, you do not believe that you're of high value. Self-esteem is basically your belief in your ability to perform. So if I have high self-esteem, I can tell you, if you give me a task, I will master it and I will perform it well. I have confidence in my ability to perform. And oftentimes, people with low self-worth have high self-esteem because they're performing their way into some kind of value, right? Um, so self-worth is our belief and our value. Self-esteem is our ability to perform. And then sometimes when I talk about, when I give this talk, oftentimes very specifically in faith-based circles or Christian circles, 
basically what I'm starting to get to is this idea that we are precious and we are priceless, and that can feel a little bit like self-love. Oh, sometimes my friends of faith do not like that concept of self-love. But it's not possible for me to say, I'm going to love every single one of you, but not me. God created all of you worthy of love, but not me. I'm the outlier, right? We have to, if we're going to honor God's creation of us, we have to offer us self-love. People get confused by that, though. The danger zone is love of self beyond what he created in me. So ego says, or flesh, I'm better than. I'm more valuable than you. That is the danger zone. If I offer love to myself at an equal way of offering love to all of you, I am not at all disobedient. As a matter of fact, I'm honoring Christ's creation in you and in me. But if I say I'm more valuable than you, or I can be better at you at something, I actually can. You're going to be better at me at things, right? There's like Lance is up here playing the guitar. I could never play the guitar. Lance is a better guitar player than me. That has nothing to do with my value or his value, right? And so in, for our purposes today, I want us to be open to the idea of loving God's creation in you for the sheer fact that he created you and being mindful of the trap of ego, that we are not more valuable than any other human being on earth. Okay, does this make sense? Okay. All right. So how do we become defined who defines us? If we cannot answer the question of who we are, inevitably, especially as believers, we are 100% then going to be defined by the world. Either Christ defines me or the world defines me. And if I can't identify it, even as a believer in a strong sense of being, the world has its doing with me. The world starts to define me, right? And so um, when it comes to us, we're talking about how we are defined biblically is, is outlined for us in Genesis, that we are created in his image. I am his image, right? Does that make sense? So that's where we begin. But we, if we're undefined, we're defined by the world, and there's no getting around that. And um, believers do struggle with this. They struggle with identity. They might be able to tell you, but do they walk in it, believe it, own it, understand it? Not always. Right? I think it's actually quite rare. So when we think about this idea of us being defined by God's image, and then we go one step further and define what God's image is, I'm defining it here on the basis of love. Because when I think about my relationship with Heavenly Father, that is the number one characteristics that I live by and come by and hear by. There are so many other characteristics to God, right? He's creative. He's funny. Like there's so many things. But if I had to pick the one that I would say that he is and stands for, for me, it would be love, right? So he's saying, I created you, all of you, in my image, and my image is love. Therefore, that is what you are. So when it comes to identity, it's interesting because I think, I think in our circles, um, people get tripped up on the idea of calling, and I, I feel like calling is a very, very, very dangerous place to be. Because if I say I'm called to be a counselor, that's a helping profession, right? That comes with like, oh, you're doing good in the world. But what about the person who's not in that same lane or a similar lane of a helping profession? You know, what if it's the person making the widgets? Are they called to make widgets? Is my calling more, uh, more better because it's a counseling and because I'm helping others? Or I'm called to pastoral care and I'm, I'm called to go to this mission trip in Africa. What about all the people sitting next to you that are like, I don't want to go to Africa. Am I not called to do anything? So sometimes in our circles, it's real easy to hear people talk about calling. And then the rest of the people are like, oh, dear, what do I need to be doing with my life? Right? I need to be doing something more. I need to explore something more. And so when it comes to this, who am I and what is my calling, I believe that we all have the same identity. Every single one of us, I think and believe, have the same identity. And for us, we are first and foremost, beyond anything else in the world, a child of the God Most High. 
I'm a daughter, you are a son, and we are brothers and sisters. And no, there's no stripping that of me. That is my identity. So even in the most simplistic form, if somebody was to ask me, who are you? I would say, I'm a daughter of the king. That is who I am. And as far as calling, I believe we all have the same calling as well. I believe we all have the same identity, and I believe we all have the same calling. And for me, it's just simply to love as he loves. Because I assure you, I could go to work and be a counselor from 8 to whatever time and love and give and sacrifice and go to Walmart and do something completely different, right? My calling isn't between 8 and 5. My calling is 24-7. No matter who God puts in front of me, I am called to love as he loves, even in the Walmart checkout line, no matter where I find myself, even in my silent moments. The calling never stops. It never ends. It doesn't end when I'm tired. It never, it just, it doesn't turn off, right? And so no matter what hat I wear, no matter what place I go, no matter where I go, and I, you heard Tracy talk about that sense of belonging, and it is really easy to read all of y'all's bios and think, I don't belong here, right? But we all have the same identity, and we all have the same calling, and I will assure you, you belong everywhere God puts you, hands down. So if you're in this room, you belong here. There's no getting around it. The only times in my life where I've found myself in a position that I don't belong is when, through my own humanity, made a bunch of poor choices to end up in a very unsafe space. And those choices I take accountability for, but there are sufferings and events that led me to those spaces. And so I could literally, I remember those feelings of, I don't belong here, I should not be here, this is not good. And that is because there was a threat and it was unsafe, right? But everywhere else, we belong, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So we all have the same identity. We all have the same calling. It's interesting, this concept of, again, self-worth and why there's reasons why we've missed the mark up until this point to be able to identify why we're confused about our identity and calling. And it's because we do live in this world. So you heard me say when I started, if you didn't have the presence of a safe, loving adult that was the hands and feet of Jesus that, mod that modeled that relationship for you, you didn't get it, right? You didn't get it. And it might be that you're getting it later in adulthood, but you had this many years of exposure to not having it where the world started to define you. And you might be defined by the world, not by your own doing, but by the external world having its way with you, that by the time you get in front of the safe, loving adult, almost here, these humans, this team of Cultivate, they are safe, loving adults. And they're telling you that you are precious. And they're telling you that this place is safe. And they're telling you all these things. But because of the experiences you've had up until this point, you're on guard. Can they be trusted? Is this real? And that is because of that life of experiences up until this point where the world had its way with you. It's not, it's not your fault. It's not your doing. It's just the way it is. So when we talk about this concept of self-worth, in order for us to get to the place where we accept our preciousness and priceless and our value, we have to understand how we actually get it in the first place. So I'm going to walk you through like how self-worth is formed in the world. And this is not common knowledge. If you walked up to somebody on the street and said, hey, how do we get self-worth? Someone's going to say, you've got to perform yourself there, right? You've got to do the things to be the good person, and then you'll get there. Or in Christian circles, because God loves you, right? And you've, but then you've got your little backpack of all your experiences telling you otherwise. So how self-worth is formed in the world is that we're all born little babies, and we have a voice. What do, what do babies do? How do babies use their voice? They cry. Does anyone have a baby at home? Someone's. <laughs> okay. So babies cry between 100,000 to 200,000 times in the first two years of life. When a baby cries, what is the caregiver's response? Anybody? What's supposed, what's supposed to happen? <laughs> 
what is supposed to happen? They show up. They meet needs, right? They become detective. What are, you, are you too hot? Are you too cold? Are you hungry? Do we need to change a diaper? Are you afraid? And if we respond as caregivers to that infant to meet the need, and if we do it lovingly, oh, sweetie, it's okay. Mama's here. If we do that, that little baby's like, whoa, you mean all I have to do is go wah and the giant human meets 100% of my needs with a smile on their face? This is a good life. This is not a big, bad, wide world. This is a good world, right? And what's happening in that moment is that caregiver's mimicking the love of Jesus to the infant, right? Even though it's their own humanity, that is how that works. Our needs are met, and they're met with nurture and loving kindness. So that little baby's like, they see me, they hear me, therefore, I actually have value. I have value because all I have to do after all is go away and all my needs are met. But God is so creative, right? We're more than just needy creatures. We don't just walk around trying to get our needs met all the time. What he did was he made us all with a unique set of gifts and talents. And it, we are actually hardwired biology, biologically to put our creative expression, our authenticity, our authentic expression, no matter what it is, out into the world. And our desire, our innate desire, is that the world will turn around and say, it is good. And so the way that babies start to do this is that one of the first things they do in the early in life is smile. Okay. What happens when a baby smiles to a caregiver? Right. They go nuts. That little baby's like, oh, my goodness, all I did was smile. I'm going to do it again. And they smile again. And the baby, wow. <laughs> Could you imagine if we got that result now as an adult? Like, if everyone went crazy because we smiled at them, oh, I see you. <laughs> right? But what ha what's happening is that they're being delighted in as a result of their authenticity that they put out. You put out you, and I'm telling you, you is good. That is, again, mimicking that love of Christ, right? And so that little baby is like, I am seen, I am heard, and I have value, right? That is how it's formed in the world. Many people, the majority of people, do not get that type of caregiving, right? So they start the world without knowing their value. They start the world in low self-worth, and then their life becomes gathering evidence of their lack of value, right? Because that's the framework they're looking for. If, let's say that, let's say that little Sally had this type of caregiving. She knew her value, she's solid, and now she's entering into the big, bad, wide world of kindergarten. So she goes to kindergarten, she's on the playground, little Johnny comes up and says, Sally, you're so stupid. And she's like, oh, huh, that does not feel good. So she goes home to her caregiver and she says, Johnny called me stupid on the playground. And mom or dad or caregiver, whomever it is, says, you are not stupid, sweetheart. You are so smart and we love you so much. And you know what Sally's response is going to be? Well, I thought so. Right? Because she knows her value. But if Sally goes to kindergarten and Johnny calls her stupid and for whatever reason she does not go to her caregiver's to get that rectified, and then she goes back to kindergarten the next day, and let's say we're coloring, and Sally starts to color outside the lines, what is she going to start to load? God, I'm so stupid. I can't even color inside the lines. Because the lie was given to her on the playground. She didn't get it rectified. The world is starting to define her, right? She picks up a lie, I'm not smart, I'm stupid. That one lie from that one incident on the playground in kindergarten will carry her until it gets rectified. Most often, it will not be rectified until she's safe as an adult in some fashion. She's going to make a thousand decisions based upon that belief that she is not smart enough. One lie. That is the world defining Sally. How many lies do you guys feel like you've been exposed to up until this point in your life? I mean, I can't even fathom it, the sheer amount of messaging that has come in to tell me that I'm something other than who I really am, right? It's constant. And if you didn't have that, rec that person rectifying you, 
along the way, what happens is when you get older and you start to go towards this information, well, let me, let me go back. That is how it's established in an infant. <laughs> that is how it's established in an infant. If we didn't get it, the world defines us. So then the master question goes, so I'll go and I'll give this presentation to hundreds of people and they'll say, but how do I get there? What's, what's the formula to getting there? How do I take care of business now if I didn't get it? The formula is actually the same. As adults, we have to figure out how to get our needs met, um, just like as an infant, but that person to care for us in that way doesn't exist anymore. I assure you, I cannot go wah and have somebody bring me my coffee. It just does not work like that, right? I haven't trained my dog to do that yet. Um, but what happens as adults is that now we get it met in community. We get it met in multiple sources. My good friends, my colleagues, my mentors, my family, my dog, all of that comes together in my church to meet my needs, right? We still have to have our needs met. And if our needs are not met, it, it does no way mean that we are of less value. But when our needs are not met, we question our value. How come they have shelter and I'm homeless? What's wrong with me? How come they have community and I don't? What's wrong with me? Right? So we start to question our value because of our needs not being met. But the other part of that equation, like I explained, is that idea of being delighted in. The baby smiles, we smile back. What happens as an adult is we still need that. We still need to be delighted in, and we still have an innate desire to put our creative and expression and authenticity out into the world. But what happens over time is that authentic self that God put inside of all of us starts to get buried. And it gets buried by all the messages of the world that we adapt and pick up and take care of, right? And so it becomes buried. And then what happens is someone might try to delight in me. I really enjoy your company. You're so fun to be around, Cindy. And I'll say, thank you. And if I believe all those lies, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not delighted in. I'm like, you're a liar. You do not know the truth about who I am because I've got all this going on. So people might try to delight in us, but we won't believe any of it because we believe all the lies that we have loaded over the years. So part of that mass, so we cannot achieve that space of positive self-worth because we believe lies. The only way that we can get to a place of high value, of believing and truly believing who God says we are, is to dispel every single one of the lies that we believe about ourselves, right? We can't carry any of the lies and honor, whew, and honor God's creation in us. So what are they? Here's a few. There's a bunch of them. I do not belong is one of them, friends. I know some of you might have explored that one this week. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to do an exercise in trying to replace one of the lies we believe with truth. This is part of our program. It's a very small part, but I want to walk you guys through it. So it is a very, um, it's a very experiential type visualization exercise where you're going to explore something inside your own mind. So what I'd like for you guys to do is pick a lie that you have on repeat. It might be one of these. It might be something completely different. And just think of a lie real quick, and then I'm going to ask you guys in just a second to close your eyes. I'm going to walk you through a visualization to try to re remove that lie and put in some truth. It is um, kind of scary to do this work because you have no idea what I'm going to say or do. So try to just focus on um, the lie. What I would say is uh, also doing this work is when, when, we do, when I walk you through it, just bring in the faith pieces. Bring in the Holy Spirit, bring in the image of Jesus, bring in the pieces that are meaningful to you in regards to your faith walk. Okay, does everyone have a lie they're thinking of? Okay, so you can stay right there, you can put, sit on the floor, whatever you guys want to do, but I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and shut your eyes for me. Just get comfortable in your seat. If you're uncomfortable, you can put your head down. And then we're going to calm the system so we can really focus. I'm going to have you guys just take a deep breath in. 
and a deep breath out. Deep breath in, deep breath out. And then we're just gonna relax our system. So just focus on the very top of your head and just go ahead and relax the muscles there, just releasing any tension at the very top of your head. And then allowing that relaxation and comfort and calm to flow down through your entire face and your ears. And then just having that continue down through your neck and your shoulders, releasing any tension in your shoulders. And then continuing down through your upper arms, through your elbows, your lower arms, your wrists, the tops of your hands, the palms of your hands. And then just go ahead and push any tension in your arms out through your fingertips and release it into the room. And then we're gonna move back up to our neck. This time we're gonna just move down at the front, relaxing your chest, calming your stomach. Just releasing tension, releasing stress, replacing it with calm. And then we're gonna come back up to our neck. This time we're gonna move down our backs. So we're gonna start at the very top of our spine and just slowly relax as we move down. Just make sure to encompass the span of your back as you go. Just releasing and relaxing, just letting go. And we'll just keep moving down, relaxing our upper legs. knees, your calves, relaxing your ankles, the tops of your feet, the bottoms of your feet, and then just release any tension that you might be carrying out through your toes, just go ahead and release it out into the room. And then as you continue to relax, what I'd like for you to do is just mentally inside your mind, go ahead and make your authentic self, the one who God created, the true you, as strong and as powerful as you can. as you're mentally making your authentic self strong. Focus on staying calm and compassionate and courageous. And then what I'd like for you to do is think about that lie that you identified that you wanted to explore. And as you're thinking about that lie specifically. What I'd like for you to do is start to notice if there's any kind of activity in your body or if there's any space in your body that seemingly is more active or trying to get your attention. And don't worry if you're not 100% sure if it feels a little weird, but once you find a little bit of activity, what I'd like for you to do is just get curious about that. Go ahead and focus on it, wonder about it. And then what I'd like for you to do is go ahead and imagine standing in front of you, the younger version of you who's carried the pain of this lie. I'll give you a moment just to find them. And then once you see them there, what I'd like for you to do 
is go ahead and approach them the way of the most loving caregiver would do, gentleness, compassion, and kindness. Maybe put your hand on their shoulder. And then what I'd like for you to do is just reorient your older self to this younger self. Go ahead and tell them how old you are now and just a few wonderful things about your life so they know everything turned out okay. I'm going to give you just a moment to visit with them. Just go ahead and tell them that you love them and that they are so worthy of love and care. Go ahead and tell them that you're sorry you left them, but that you're back now to help them. Go ahead and tell them that you know they've been carrying this pain and discomfort for some time and that you're here to tell them the real truth of who they are. And then what I'd like for you to do is imagine somewhere near the two of you an empty container or box of some kind and with the help of the Holy Spirit, what I'd like for you to do is mentally remove all the pain and discomfort inside of your younger one and inside of yourself. And go ahead and fill the box. Make sure to get it all. And then once the box is full, go ahead and secure it shut any way that you might like. And then turn to your younger version and ask them, how they would like to destroy the box. They can burn it, bury it, throw it in the ocean, anything that they'd like to do. And then go ahead and destroy the box with them. And what I'd like for you to do is go ahead and take your younger version to a place where they feel the most safe or you feel the most safe. It can be an imaginary place or a real place, but go ahead and go there now. And then once you're here, what I'd like for you to do is imagine standing in front of both of you, our Heavenly Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit in any way that's meaningful to you. And then what I'd like for you to do is mentally allow the truth of who he says you are come in the form of light and words, whatever it is, and allow that to move into your body and your younger version's body to take up all the spaces where that pain used to be. Let the truth take up all those spaces that you are loving, that you are worthy, that you are precious, kind, smart, creative, that you belong, and that you are his. I'm going to give you just a moment to absorb that. listen to anything that Jesus has to say.
with Jesus still present, what I'd like for you to do is turn to your younger self and just ask them now that they don't need to carry any of that pain anymore, ask them what they would like to do. Are they tired and would they like to rest or would they like to pray with you and spend time together? If they're tired and want to rest, go ahead and tuck them in the way the most loving caregiver would. And if they'd like to spend time with you or play, go ahead and spend time with them and play with them for a minute. I'm just going to give you time to be here with your younger self for a minute. And go ahead and tell this younger version that you'll be back to check on them. Spend as much time as you need with them. And then when you're ready, I'll have you open your eyes and come back to the room. difficult to transition from that visualization back to this room, so we're just going to hang here for just a second. So just take a moment to reorient yourself. Okay, so in order for us to enter into the redemptive framework, and you heard Scott say it's, it's obviously not fluid, but we don't live there. In order for us to be there, though, to be able to serve at that level, to sacrifice for the betterment of everybody else, we have to be healthy and whole. On our way to healthy and whole. Right? We don't arrive ever. I can only enter into that space of, of servant when I, my cup is full. And if I, the only way that my cup gets to be as full as it possibly can be is to believe the truth in who he says I really am. And I can only believe that truth if I dispel the lies one by one. And dispelling the lies is not, as you guys can see, it's not just talking about it. It's not the just do it Nike mentality. These are deeply ingrained within us, and they have come from the external wor world. You know, some, sometimes individuals will have believed a lie for so long, they believe they gave it to themselves. All of the lies are coming from the world. It is not coming from within who you are. At some point, it was delivered to you. And I will tell you, if you didn't get that ideal caregiving that we talked about, that was your first lie. Any neglect, any lack of response, all those things, not a one-time one occurrence, right? But if you were not seen, heard, and valued from that point on, you started out with a massive lie of low value, right? So only a select handful get that loving, caregiving adult that's going to rectify lies through life. Just a small handful of those ones. Okay? So in order for us to be redemptive, we have to enter into this journey of doing our own work. There's no getting around it. Everything else is a facade and a strife. Like, I'm striving to, to I, I mean, I could fake my way there, I assure you. I know the formula, right? 
So let's say I didn't believe it myself, but I knew the formula and I had an infant in my care. I could fake my way there. If that baby cries, even if I don't believe in myself, because I know what to do, I can show up and I can respond lovingly and meet needs. And when that baby smiles, I can smile back. And I can do that for a while until something gets tough, until that baby turns into a two-year-old and has a massive meltdown. Then I'm like, see ya. <laughs> because I don't have the emotional capacity to be in there emotionally with that two-year-old as they're breaking down. The only way that I can bring the love of Christ to others is for me to do this piece. It is the only way. There's no other way. Everything else is on off. Everything is um, entering and moving between authenticity and lack of authenticity. And what we're talking about here is not avoidance of suffering in the world. This is not perfection. This is simply authenticity. It comes with quirks and craziness and, and, and strangeness and foolishness. But it's real, and it's what he put in me. When we started, I said that we all have the same identity and that we all have the same calling. The next piece of that, I mean, we, we are snowflakes. We have the same identity. We have the same calling. But God gave every single one of you and me very unique gifts and talents, and that's that creativity piece. The ones he gave to me, he wants me to steward. The ones he gave to you, he wants you to steward. And it's through your authenticity that you get to steward your unique gifts and talents. And those things, those unique gifts and talents are going to play into your ventures. The redemptive piece, though, the, the, the unique gifts and talents are the expression of your authenticity, but again, it's not who you are, right? The redemptive piece is the being, the being with the presence of the people that are working for you, alongside you, with you in community. And the only way you serve them is by being solid with who you are. Okay. Any questions? I did this faster than usual. But that's okay, right? Did we finish early? Okay. Yeah? Any questions about anything that we just talked about? In a, in a few minutes, you guys are going to go to small groups so that you can visit. Um, my suggestion would be in your small groups to talk about your visualization. So what, hap what basically you guys did is I gave you a framework. You picked a lie. You processed it inside your mind in the privacy and safety of your own mind. And then when you go into community, if you talk about it, it will bring another level of hearing and your community members will validate the truth. And that is, that is extremely valuable for this type of work. So when you go to your small groups, share your experience, tell them what lie you worked on if you feel safe and have them validate the truth in you. And maybe if we finish early, it's meant to be so you have more time in your small groups. Are there any questions about anything I talked about? Lance. So I would say a couple things. Um, you could do that same visualization walkthrough on your own. Like when you go to sleep at night, find a lie, talk to the younger self, put it in a box, bring in Jesus, get truth, and move on. So you do have some capacity. Um, secondly, I would probably suggest signing up for the class. Um, because as you guys know, it's not just the just do it. Now, what this will do, though, is give you an awareness of when that lie pops up. One of the things that we, so that awareness of when the lie pops up, you can, you can dispel it. But if it's grounded in emotional hurt, you're going to need something further to actually completely get rid of it, right? 
Um, so I would suggest signing up for a class. They, they're all over. It's on our website. You can just sign up and do it in community. Um, also, I would say um, one of the things that uh, we do in the class, it's kind of not very kind, actually, and people may get mad at me for it, but I don't care, um, is we, we show these pictures of babies, and sometimes we'll have them bring a baby picture if they have one. Oftentimes people don't have one, but we'll show these pictures of babies, and everyone picks a picture of a baby, and then we hand out cards with, that have the lies on them. Natanya, do you remember? <laughs> I forgot you guys did it. Uh, <laughs> they didn't like it. Um, but I would give Christy three lies, and I would say, I want you to look at that picture of that baby and tell that baby those lies. You will never measure up. You're not good enough. You're ugly, right? Because if you think about it, like you guys had such a strong response to that, you know why? Because it's so wrong. It goes directly against the truth of who we are. It is wrong, right? And if those things are ever said to an infant, it's coming out of deep hurt. So I have compassion for that, but it is still wrong. We do the same thing every time we look in the mirror or when we're engaged in topics. and We're just doing, let's just go. Let's just, it is so, we've said it so many times, it has no response. It's like, you're not good enough. Mm-hmm, yeah, I know. Right? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you don't belong. Us saying that now at our age is equally as wrong as doing it to an infant. There's no difference between that infant and you other than time and experience. That infant is not more precious than you. You are as precious. So even just taking that concept in thought so that you can monitor when you're doing it, so at least you know you shouldn't be doing it. Right? Does that help, Lance? I will tell you that like some people are afraid to do that journey because as you guys can tell, it's very emotional. But there I, I personally believe there's no there's no greater gift, especially if we're making the conscious decision to work towards resemptive and change the world in which we live. Yes. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. Absolutely. So um, that happens in our groups, in our classes. And so we identify. Usually it's after the first visualization that someone's like, "Uh." and so there's different ways that we do it. They can journal while we're doing it. Um, Sometimes just looking at a picture and keeping their eyes open will do it. Sometimes just keeping their eyes open and thinking about the concept versus visualizing the concept will do it. Um, so we definitely alter it for neurodivergency, absolutely. Any other questions? And I think, too, that's where the community piece comes in. It's like most of my, not all of my community, of course, but much of my community has gone through the class. And, oh, my goodness, if you even think about uttering a lie in front of these people, it is a very dangerous place. Like, what? You know that's not true. Blah, 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 blah. Right? So if if you verbalize the lie to anybody, they're going to give you truth. Right? So if you take it out of your head to to Lance, what is Lance going to say, right? What is Tracy going to say? What is Tyler going to say, Natanya? Like, boom, right? 
but we have to be vulnerable enough to talk about it to, for it to be there. And then what I will also say is the, we always talk about we can do this work. I can, I can say with confidence that I truly believe that I'm a child of God and that my calling is to, or my purpose is to love as he loves. But I still go out there in the big wide world. I still get tired. I still have to rest and I practice the Sabbath. If, if that happens and I get off, I can sense the offness and I have to come back to the original design. No, Cindy, remember, you are a child of God, and the only thing you have to do today is love people as he loves you. You don't, don't have to focus on, because those deadlines, they're there, right? Those grant deadlines are the issues, and when that starts to get big, I have to say, nope, all you have to do is love people today. That's it, and that's a one item on a to-do list. And it's very comforting to know. And God does the rest. He's going to put whoever there, and he's going to put capacity in me to do that if I can walk in it. But to say that we walk in it all the time, because we still live here. Right? So being able to verbalize the lies and then remind yourself, yourself too, of the truth will help keep us grounded. Any other questions before we go to small groups? Really? So when you get into your small groups, y'all are going to stare at each other. Oh, that's even better. Okay. After that, when you get into your small groups, you are going to stare at each other. <laughs> One person be brave enough to start to share and set an example for the rest. Just be brave, start talking. And then everyone else will follow. I'm going to stay and be around until lunch. I have to leave mid-lunch, but I'll stay around. So if you do have something you want to talk through or if something hit and you have a question and it's personal, I will be here to help any of you with anything. Sound good? Thank you for trusting me, guys. I appreciate it. And thank you for your time. And I'm so glad that I've gotten the chance to meet all of you.